Headed to the live line to speak about something that is horrifying and out of control in this country and around the world. It is human trafficking and how to stop it. NCOS, we have the director of the Research Institute, Dr. Marcel Vanderwatt, um, joining us now. And we are going to talk about how we can help stop human trafficking. Hi, Marcel. Hi, good morning, uh, Fawn, and good morning to your uh, listeners. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. So we talk yeah. about human trafficking a lot on this program because if my child disappeared and I found out that they were tossed into this trade after seeing, you know, the, the sound of freedom, um, mm. I, it's it's horrifying what these babies go through. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Fawn, and obviously, you know, there are different forms of human trafficking. The, 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 the two broad categories are, you know, sex trafficking and uh, forced labor. Mm-hmm. But um, but the, the harms is indes- indescribable. Um, you know, I think, you know, having worked in this space for the last 22 years and having dealt with kind of all dimensions of it, you know, the, you know, we often talk about the physical, the sexual, and the psychological harms, and it's more the psychological part of this uh, e- equation uh, that really feeds into the different control mechanisms which really uh, debilitates efforts to identify victims and obviously for victims themselves to self-identify and escape what is happening. But it is horrific. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. And, and the people who buy these people should be killed. I'm sorry. I just feel like they're going to do it again if given the chance, so put them down. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think when you talk about bias, I think that is actually the critical, critical missing link, uh, Fawn, in the response to this. You know, mm-hmm. rightfully we should be angered about traffickers and firms, etc. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, every transaction, especially when we talk about sex trafficking, is initiated, paid for by a sex buyer. Mm-hmm. So the firms and the traffickers are the ones pocketing the money. But the buyers are the ones paying it, and we, you know, they should be getting far, far more attention um, in this uh, conversation. I think they're the ones that should be the worst prosecuted, and um, nobody ever talks, though, so it just continues. It's just like this mm. horrible, horrible circle. But I know at the National mm. Center on Sexual Exploitation Research, um, you have ideas on how to stop human trafficking. And a lot of people say, see something, say something. Well, you don't always mm. know. So what can we do specifically to stop human trafficking? So I think the first thing, just on a granular level, just with everyday citizens, you know, so often we, you know, often spoken about the globalization of indifference. You know, we see need and want and vulnerabilities all around us. And so often we don't interrogate a set of circumstances that uh, that often intuitively raises red flags. And I often tell people, you know, never put yourself in danger, but if there is even an opportunity to ask a question of a person who you deem to be in a vulnerable situation, do ask that question. You know, we've got a human trafficking hotline, which we can share the number um, in the you know, next few moments. But the research that we've done over the last uh, three years, you know, we've documented comprehensively at least 15 demand reduction tactics, which really aimed at disrupting the market forces at the point of purchase, where we hold sex buyers accountable, you know, those who 
who feel the issues of prostitution and sex trafficking. And, and there's several of these tactics. And, uh, I mean, we could definitely go through some of them, but they work, you know, mm-hmm. and they do disrupt the trade. And, and you know, wh- one thing that we do know is that sex buyers that's been arrested, they viscerally fear having their employers or having a wife or having a significant other or family member know about what they are doing. So these tactics are there to, you know, disclose identities and to disrupt activities in the online environment as well. And that's where artificial intelligence is also now being used to do that. So the tools are there. We should be using the tools. Okay. So me as just, you know, Fawn Reagan in Missouri, if I saw a little girl with somebody who I thought she didn't belong there, um, if they happen to be of a different color and I said, is this your daddy or is this someone Mm -hmm. you actually know, then everybody screams racism, even though the little girl might be in Mm -hmm. trouble. So a lot of people won't say something if it's mm. that kind of situation, and we need to erase that. The welfare yeah. of the child is more important than your weird, um, insane preoccupation with race, because that mm. child matters. Even if she's not in trouble, if it looks weird, then say something. And, you know, and I think in a situation like that, I mean, I'm trying to make it practical. you walking down the street, you're on your way to Walgreens, whatever the case may be, and there is... A, a, a suspicion constellation of circumstances, an mm-hmm. elderly male or whatever, or the person or third party answers on behalf of what could be a victim of trafficking. Right. Again, not to ever put yourself in a dangerous situation, but if it lends itself to that, g- grab a fellow citizen and say, listen, my name is Fawn. Help me. This is what I'm seeing. We need to do something. We've got a moral obligation to intervene here. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's always something that can be done for. And I think nothing stops you from, you know, um, you know, approaching somebody, say, listen, um, you know, you know, just starting a conversation by virtue of starting a innocent uh, conversation, you would immediately, uh, intuitively, you know, pick up on if, if something is wrong. But, uh, but I also want to highlight that. You know, we've had situations in the past where people jump into a situation mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, where they, they put themselves in harm's way and ultimately cause harm where there was really not any reason for, for, for specific actions to take place. So I right. think it's, it's a lot of even-handed wisdom that needs to be applied in a setting like that. Yeah. See, now, I wouldn't think it was weird for somebody to be with someone of a different race because that's my whole family. But if I saw mm. a child that looked scared to death... And Absolutely. I said, um, excuse me, sir, can, and it's usually a sir. Um, yeah. no offense because there are females, but excuse me, sir, could I, could I buy your child some candy or something? And they freaked mm. out and the child was crying or something. I'd call the police. Yeah. No. And, and you, you call the police immediately. You know, I've done a lot of this work on the streets and strike up a conversation. Oh, you know, I love your shoes. You know, where did you get that? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, I love, you know, I love the, the, the um, you know, the jacket that you have on. Starting an innocent conversation, mm-hmm. if you really feel compelled to do something like that, is to use a non-threatening way of asking questions. But I think everything that even remotely causes suspicion, you know, we need to get authorities involved and just make sure that we we uh, allay any fears that there are that this might be a very compromising or harmful situation. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't say it to just anybody, but if it looked weird, I would say something regardless 
of what reaction yeah. I would get. But I'm one of those weird yeah. people, Marcel, who <laughs> talks to everybody in every line. I'm like, "Hi, hey, what are you doing here? What you know? Yeah. Even if I don't know them, I talk to everyone." Yeah, um, and there might be a static situation, something that you actually observe as mm-hmm. well. And I think uh, you know, I'm just uh, maybe we could just quickly share this number with you, Fawn. But mm-hmm. it's um, it's eight eight eight. Right. And remember, not not all victims are little tiny kids. They could be any age. Uh, they could be anybody. Uh, Absolutely, and I think this is also part of you know the the, the the misconceptions around human trafficking. Often that being dictated by by Hollywood. You know, it's mm-hmm. really and infrequently do you get a situation where people are chained up, etc. Obviously, that does happen. But we often talk about psychological change. You know, I've worked with victims of trafficking where the the mm-hmm. trafficker would actually take the victim once every Sunday to a local um, a restaurant to meet her mother. You know, so that's part of a l- much larger scheme where this subjugation and psychological manipulation, you know. So, and, and most people will never even see some of the red flags in a situation like that. I'm telling the story just to say that many victims don't self-identify or they don't consider themselves to be a victim. So knowing how the crime works and the definition of the crime and 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 the red flags that really that really helps um, yeah. on you. Yeah. Well, and not every person's got a family home worried about them. Some of them are sold by their families. So you never know. I mean, the situation can be anything but the bottom line is the victim. And yes, if it were a white person with a black child, I would do the same thing if the child yeah. looked like they were in distress. Everybody's about race right now, but that situation actually happened, and there was a national uproar about racism because of it, and that is yeah. not what happened there. It was just a person worried about a child. That's why I'm bringing it up. But yeah, yeah. We, we've got to stay aware, and if we think something looks funny, we should say something, whether it yeah. is a repercussion or not on us. Got to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's where, you know, that's where collective compassion comes in to com- embrace that, you know, that we all are responsible for the children in our midst, everybody, you know, and, and that's a collectivist approach to safety and, and uh, you know, um, you know where, where it comes to harming our children. So, no, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, and bottom line here, I, I want to catch the buyers. That's what I want. I want the buyers. I want them taken, taken out, taken care of, whatever we got to do, I want them taken out. Dr. Yeah, and, and the encouraging part is federal, federal penalties on buyers, um, you know, wittingly, unwittingly buying victims of trafficking. You know, that averages between 12 and 15 years. Not enough. So there's definitely penalties for them as well. But there's, it's, a, it's a moving conversation around the, 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 the complicity of sex buyers. So it's moving in the, in the right direction. Put them down like dogs. Dr. Marcel Vanderwatt, director of the Research Institute with NCOS. How to stop human trafficking? Give that number again, 888-373-7888. Got yeah. it. Dr. Marcel Vanderwatt. Thank you, Marcel, so much for being on the show. Thank you, Fawn. Uh-huh. Take care. Bye-bye.